And my uh, take on church has unfortunately been a little too stuffy. But man, the last few years, the Lord sure has changed my mindset on church. Now, you ought to have order, amen. You ought to be able to come in and have a good time. Amen. All right, well, you have a good time because I don't have much of a voice, amen. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. I want to finish this piece on secondary separation. Finish up the book of Second Thessalonians. Second Thessalonians chapter 3. You actually might have to give me a little bit more volume here, Chuck. Now, I felt the crud uh, throughout the week, but I actually started feeling a little bit better yesterday and woke up today and sounded worse. But I guess that's how it goes. All right. Man, real glad you all came back. Brother uh, Brother McKnight, would you uh, pray and ask the Lord for help to get through this tonight? Amen. All right, Second Thessalonians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 6. Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw yourselves from every brother that walketh disorderly and not after the tradition which he received of us. For yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we behave not ourselves disorderly among you. Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you. Paul didn't rack up any expenses or any bills. If he needed something in the ministry, he went and worked for it. He wanted to be a blessing to this church, although he could have required a paycheck. Verse 9, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. For even when we are with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat? I believe probably most of us in here were raised that way. You don't work, you don't eat. Everyone uh, needs to, it's good for young people to bear uh, the burden in their youth. Amen? You give them chores, you give them jobs to do, and then you make sure they do it right. <clears throat> for even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. So that's the context. There's... Uh, there's people, they're freeloaders in the early church. Just as soon as the body of truth is getting put together and Paul's getting out these epistles, uh, as soon as something happens uh, for the work of God, there's, uh, uh, there's pushback, there's problems, there's trouble. And what you've got is you've got, whenever you've got a body full of believers, you're going to find out that all flesh is grass and everyone's got problems. Amen? Everyone's got problems. And that's why you got to be careful you don't keep your eyes on a man. Don't put your eyes on me. I will let you down. Not on purpose. Uh, don't put your eyes on some other brother and sister. Uh, uh, don't, don't think too highly of yourself or one another. Amen. Be respectful. Be kind and all that. But 
Look, every, every soldier has got a weak spot in their armor. You hang around them long enough, you'll find out what it is. But here you had some lazy Christians. They weren't working. He says in verse 12, Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. But ye, brethren, be not weary in well-doing. And if any man obey not our word by this epistle, note that man and have no company with him that he may be ashamed. So we're talking about secondary separation. We're going through this thing and trying to put this thing together. We won't be long on it. But that secondary separation, like we talked about this morning, that has to do with separation from saved individuals. From saved individuals. Now, when you get over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that's talking about separation unto God and separation from the world. But when you get over here in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 uh, and verse 6 all the way to 14, uh, you're dealing with uh, separation from saved individuals. And this group right here we began talking about this morning. And these first six are found in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Now, this is a difficult thing. Now, the old-timers, they, uh, they had a character about them. They had, uh, they had a resolve about them that they seemed to carry this thing out better. I didn't say they had everything right. I'm just saying uh, the old church members, the old-timers, they would do this better than we do it now. We are, thank you, brother. I appreciate that. <clears throat> Sounds like I'm choking on sandpaper, don't it? But the old-timers, they, uh, they used to church people. You know what I mean when I say church folk? Not like church folk, but they used to church you. You messing around in these areas, they discipline you. Not like, you know, get out the old paddle or something. <laughs> but they, you know, I mean, a hundred years ago, if a, if a woman got out of line, I'm not saying this is right, they'd say, all right, uh, lady, you sit there and you can't say a word for six months. <laughs> that's the old, that's, I'm not saying go that far. You see, not everyone was balanced. <laughs> Amen. So, yeah, some gals will never talk. Amen. <laughs> but what I'm saying is we're missing that resolve. We say, what's the resolve? To be cruel? No, to follow the book. We believe the book. We have the book. We have the book. We have more revealed truth now than ever before. But Paul says, look, if a brother, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, a man, it's called a brother, is a fornicator, he's a sex pervert, amen, I, I, that's not just messing around with kids. Amen. I should put that on an electric chair, amen. But not just kids, but messing around with people in the church or other gals or whatever, or, or vice versa, so forth. You don't keep company with him. Uh, if that fellow's covetous, he's an idolater, that thing railer, that has to do with someone who's just a sarcastic jerk all the time. <laughs> Bible believers are terrible about that. It's like because they have the truth, they believe that they have the right to be mean, mean-spirited, acerbic, full of vitriol. Those are just synonyms for jerks. <laughs> All right? And that's a railer. And you got to step back from that fella and, that fella, and a drunkard, uh, goes without saying, an extortioner. And then uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 6 to 14, that disorderly walk has to do with a lazy Christian who will not work. He will not work, but he expects everyone to pay his bills, to buy his groceries, and all the rest. 
And then we looked at the one in Titus. Look at Titus real quick again. Titus chapter 3. We'll pick this up and go here. Titus chapter... Now look, if a brother's overtaken in a fault, Paul said in Galatians 6, 1, your, your first goal is to try to restore him if you're the spiritual one. <laughs> and that's, that's really the key. If you really think you're the spiritual one, then I guess you, you ought to try to restore him in the spirit of meekness, the Bible says. And that's a difficult thing. But Titus chapter 3, look at verse uh, 8 there. The <clears throat> Bible says in Titus 3, this is a faithful saying, uh, And these things I will that thou affirm constantly, that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Verse 9, But avoid foolish questions and genealogies and contentions and strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable. You know, a lot of that stuff that Christians fight and squabble over, it's just unprofitable. Does that make sense to you? A lot of stuff that Bible believers fight and fuss about, it don't mean a hill of beans. It don't mean a row of pins, man. It's just stupid. The Bible says it's unprofitable. But the context here is verse 10, but a man that is an heretic, that's a fellow that has doctrinal divisions contrary to what Paul himself teached. That's a heretic. A heretic is not someone that has less standards than you or I. Heretic is someone who don't believe that book, and if he does, he claims to believe that book. He's like a hyper-dispensation, and he divides it up into little threads. All right, man that is an heretic after the first and second admonition, reject. Well, what does that look like, preacher? All right, you have a conversation with him. Look, the Bible says this. Let's say it's about salvation. All right, and the Bible says this about salvation. He says, no, I don't believe that at all. Okay, then you drop it, and you come at him again from a different angle. All right, the Bible says this over here. He says, no, you're wrong. Then you let him go. You quit fighting with him. You quit fussing with him. You're not going to change his mind. He's not going to change your mind. But actually, if you're not careful, he might change your mind. And then you'll be the heretic. You see that? Paul says a man that's a heretic after the first and second admonition reject. All right, so people that you've separated from, doctrinally, have you gone to them? If you haven't, you're not following the book. I'll comment a couple times uh, in a few pages here, but man, I'll tell you what, uh, if you're going to separate from a fellow, he ought, you ought to, he ought to at least have, you ought to have the decency to let him know why you're separating from him. Well, you know, I'm American. Well, where does that fit in the Bible? <laughs> I'm an American. Oh, okay, well, fine. <laughs> but uh, if a man's a heretic, you're supposed to get away from him. You're stop having company with him. Paul says reject him. I know people messing around right now with the Amish crowd. You know what they like? They like that they do good work, so they mess around with them. Okay, have them build your barn. I don't care. But don't sit there and keep having meals with them and, uh, two or three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine times thinking you're going to win them to Jesus Christ. Paul says if they're a heretic after the second admonition, leave them alone. You ought to do that. Why? Because that's what the Bible says. And uh, what you'll have to do at this point, once you separate uh, from those that Paul mentions, and we've covered a number of them, you're going to then just have to have the faith that God knows what he's doing and God will handle that thing. Now look, you've got to have the right balance here. <clears throat> you say, what's the right balance? Well, if they're your family, you can't cut your family off. Amen? can't cut your family off like cutting your nose off. You might have less to do with them, but you can't cut your family off. You can't pick your family. 
Their family's family. You say, what do I do? Well, love them like family, amen? You got to put up with them. God gave you one family. If he blessed you, he gave you more than one. You say, well, I don't believe that. Okay, fine. The Bible says, if at all possible, live peaceably with all men. You're going to have to come to terms that you're not going to agree with everybody on everything, but if you've got family, you, you have to go the extra step. You just can't flush them. Like, oh, I don't like them yet. Well, there's my way out, flush. Family's family. You better take the extra step with them. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. I know, that's hard stuff, man. I like what one missionary said. He says, I don't care if you're a Bible believer. He says, I want to know if you're a Bible behavior. <laughs> he said, Bible believers are a dime a dozen. He said, it's hard to find a Bible behavior, though. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 11, talk about this thing on secondary separation. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. Now, notice what Paul says here in verse 11, Ephesians 5. He says, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Our job as Christians is to reprove the unfruitful works of darkness, not encourage them, not pat them on the back. See what I mean? Uh, reprove goes along with Luke 17. Run over to Luke 17 real quick. He says in Ephesians, reprove them. Look what Paul, uh, uh, Luke says in Luke 17. 17.1. Now in your Christian life, you're going to have to eventually come to the place where you believe the Bible enough to take action on it. And when the Holy Spirit deals with your heart on it, you're going to have to make some tough decisions and you're going to have to have the faith that God will work that thing out the way he sees fit, not how you want to feel when you're around somebody. Luke 17, 1. Bible says, Then said he unto the disciples, It is impossible that offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. Look at verse 3. Take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, what do you do? Rebuke him. And if he repent... Forgiving. All right, so Paul says in Ephesians 5, we're just there, reprove him. Luke says rebuke him. And if he's done something against you personally, that's where Matthew 18 comes in. Now look at Matthew 18. There's reproof, there's rebuke. And then if he's done something against you personally, that's where Matthew chapter 18 comes in. You see, over in Matthew 18, it's not only steps of what you would call church discipline, but it's how a Christian's conduct should be. It's how a Christian should walk. In Matthew chapter 18, someone has done something to you personally. Listen, if someone believes a, a heretical doctrine, is it against you personally? Of course it's not. But if someone takes a swipe at you, a swipe at your character, makes false accusations against you like they did Paul time after time, I started writing them out in flyleaf of my Bible. My goodness, they're lying about Paul every time they turn around. <laughs> Just lying up a storm. Uh, look at Matthew 18. Someone here has done something to you personally. Look at verse 15. Moreover, if thy brother shall trespass, you see it, against thee, go and tell him his fault. Notice it doesn't say it's sin. It says it's fault. I don't know. Maybe he's just got, you know, you know, dragon breath. He just likes to get in your face. I don't know. You ever meet them people? They're like, you haven't seen them in two months, and they're just like right on top of you. You're like, my goodness, COVID, come on, please help me out here. You know, and it's like, anyways, you get the point. 
He says, go tell him his fault between thee and him alone. And if he shall hear thee, thou hast what? Gain thy brother. But look at the steps. If he will not hear thee, then take with thee one or two more, that in the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he shall neglect to hear them, tell it unto the church. But if he neglect to hear the church, let him be unto thee as an heathen man and a publican. All right, so what do you do? Well, if you get to that point, you still won't listen. You withdraw yourself from them. You go away from them. It's not just over doctrinal issues. It's over a disorderly walk. And these are all things that you need to take into consideration when you try to walk with the Lord, that you're not hanging out with these buzzards. <laughs> and some people will tell you, well, you know, uh, preacher, it really just needs to be a doctrinal issue. No. Matthew 18 mentions nothing about doctrine. It's something against you personally. 2 Thessalonians 3, what we're in, that's the context about lazy. That's nothing about doctrine. Uh, Galatians 6.1 is talking about a man that's overtaken in a fault. And like we said, Ephesians 5, you reprove him. In Luke 17.3, you rebuke a man. But overall, you separate from the man if he won't get it right. And that's hard, and I'm coming at this thing hard because I want you to understand the Bible's strong about it. And it doesn't just have to be a doctrinal issue. Sometimes it's better, in my opinion, if it is a doctrinal issue. But most individuals, if you go to them, that's the key. Most individuals, if you go to them, will talk to you. And if you follow the steps of Matthew chapter 18, if you are serious, not have an agenda... And if you go to somebody with two people or three people, they will listen. Very, very few times does it ever get taken to the step that they won't listen to anybody and then he's a heathen and a publican. And if they don't hear the church, then you have to do what the Bible says. And, of course, that's a hard thing. I'll look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3. We're almost done here. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 on that matter of withdrawing yourself. You've got to be careful that you don't become pharisaical about it. And if we don't mention, it'd be easier to walk out of here and go, yeah, that's, that's right. We've got to tommyhawk everyone who don't line up to our lines. No, you've got to be careful about that thing. You've got to be careful that you don't become a hypersensitive Pharisee. I'll look at verse 3, 1 Timothy 6, 3. If any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing but doting about questions and strives of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, supposing that gain is godliness from such, withdraw thyself. There's a lot in that verse. You see that? So you're supposed to take yourself away from them and not have anything to do with them. Let me give you another one real quick. 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter 3, look at verse 1. The Bible says this, Know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers. You see that list through there? He's talking about the church. He's not talking about in the community. He's talking about people that are saved individuals. 
false accusers, incontinent, fierce. You know some Christians that are fierce? They'll rip your face off. I know them by heart. They're fierce, man. Uh, <clears throat> when I first started trying to be a preacher here, I talked to one feller, and we talking just fine, and he used to pass here a long time ago. And, and uh, I said, you know, preacher so-and-so, I said, you had quite an influence on me when I was a little boy. And he's a, I, could, I could just feel the glowing embers in his voice. And he says, that's because I'm your spiritual granddaddy. I go, whatever, you know. <laughs> I just said you had a good, you know, you had, you, had a, you had a thumbprint on me for a few years, and, and he ran off of the church secretary. But anyways, but what I'm trying to say is when, when truth started getting preached, when truth started getting preached, and it started hitting the fan pretty hot and heavy there, uh, I called him because uh, he had started blowing up social media about what a heretic I was. After just having this loving, glowing conversation with one of his spiritual grandchildren, you know. And I said, what in the, I said, what in the fire is going on? You know what he said? I, 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 I don't subscribe to Ruckmanism and hung up on the phone. <laughs> what in, as the old preacher, what in the cat hair is that all about? I preach the Bible. What does Ruckmanism have to do with it? I know what it is. It's because I believe that book and I won't budge on it. So therefore, you got, what do you got to do? You got to subscribe me to some other fellow that might have done the same. That's all it is. But, uh, but fierce. Despisers of those that are good. Uh, you say, well, you're just trying to make a name for myself. Well, if that's the case, I've pretty much failed in the last eight years. This ain't about making a name. This is about feeding sheep, man. This is about people growing in the Lord Jesus Christ, developing a relationship with their Savior day at a time, one foot in front of the other, day by day, and with each passing moment, right? But he's talking about incontinent Christians, false accusers, you know, lying on Facebook, lying on social media, lying to whoever, fierce despisers of those that are good. Look at it, traitors. You ever meet a traitor? Shake your hand, love you. I got texts. I got screenshot texts. Love you, brother. Praying for you. Today, thinking about you. Cushing you out the next. <laughs> what is that? Traitors. Bunch of stinking traitors. Heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness. And that's people in the church. But denying the power thereof. From such what? You see the separation? That's what I wanted you to see. I wanted you to see the separation from such turn away. doesn't mean you can't send them a Christmas card. But you ought to separate from them. But you can't become a Pharisee. You see the bounce on that thing? You've got to really be careful on that thing. And you're to withdraw from them, turn away, and it's a hard thing to do. Nevertheless, it's the right thing. Look at Romans 16. I hope you're becoming extremely familiar with these passages so that when I say the chapter, you automatically know where we're going. We're talking about separating from Christians. Separating from Christians that know better and won't do right and refuse to do right. And the modern gas act is, well, we just all need to get along with everybody. Who, who told you that? Where does it say that in the Bible? You know what Amos 3.3 3 says? It says, can two walk together except they be agreed? Can you walk arm in arm with somebody in this world in your Christian life? You might have to work next side to them. But you can't have the same relationship with them that you do with the Lord. 
And you can't have the same relationship with a lost person that you do a saved person. You can't have the same relationship with a Christian who's in sin and knows he's in sin and won't do right than you can with a Christian that's trying to serve the Lord. <clears throat> Romans 16. 17. Look at verse 17. The Bible says, And I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the what? Not your opinion, right? This is divisions contrary to this book right here. Contrary to the doctrine which you have learned. This Pauline doctrine. Paul is where we get our doctrine from. Amen? Even when you get into the New Testament, the sayings of Jesus Christ, and all throughout that Bible, you line everything up with what Paul said that will keep you straight on the book. Alright? He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, mark them which cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you have learned, and avoid them. All right, that sounds like separation to me. <laughs> avoid them. It's 18, for they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. You ever stop and think how many saved individuals got behind a pulpit today and told everyone how wonderful they were and how good it was to see them? And it's good to see you all too, amen. But y'all are a bunch of sinners, amen. <laughs> good words and fair speeches. Amen. Y'all ought to be in hell with gasoline britches on, and you know it. Good words and fair speeches. Amen. There's someone trying to be honest. So you avoid them. You avoid them, especially if it's a doctrinal issue. You know what Bible believers do in these days? If they have a doctrinal issue, they put the old hex on them, unless he's got something to benefit their church by. And then they bring him in. Let's say he's like a good musician or something. I mean... It doesn't matter whether he's a hyper-dispensationalist or something. Got the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of devils connect to all that thing. Oh, but if he's a good singer, let's bring him on in, you know. Let's bring the, you know, put a little draw on the body of Christ and take up a good $10,000 love offering and send it to one of our family members. Well, bless the Lord. <laughs> oh, we're Bible believers, are we? For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly, and by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. So you're to avoid them. And concerning the context where we're at, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, the individuals that Paul is talking about, they're leeches. They are mooches to the body of Christ. They won't go to work. And Paul says, hey, if they're not going to work, then you need to withdraw yourself from them so they'll be ashamed. Look at verse 15, 2 Thessalonians 3, 15. Here's the important part. Yet count him not as a what? Enemy, but admonish him as a brother. I think that's probably where we go south a lot. Someone's doing something wrong and we know it and they know it. So you separate from them and all of a sudden you make them the enemy. They're not the enemy. They're your brother. And spoiler, you've got to spend all eternity with them. That's why it's so important, I believe, to try to get everything fixed up this side of the judgment seat of Christ. Because you're going to spend all eternity with them. Now, what Paul, that's just consistent with what Paul has taught you in all these other passages. Verse 15 says, don't count them as an enemy, but you're to admonish them. You know what that word admonish is? That's a gentle reproof. That's a mild rebuke, a gentle reproof. And I don't know, there's something about, there's something about Christians today that there's nothing gentle about us half the time. It's either throttles all the way open or it's not open at all. <laughs> It's just, we're just people of extremes. Maybe you're not. 
but it's Paul says admonish him as a brother. You don't just withdraw yourself from him without telling it uh, what he's doing. See, that's, a, that's the cowardly way out. You might not want to associate him, and that's fine. You know, it's free country, so forth and so on. You can do what you want to do. But if you're going to disfellowship with him, he needs at least to know why. Especially if you think he's <laughs> wrong, according to this book. Matter of fact, if he's one of these on this list, like this one here, well, you better let somebody know, not like Facebook either. You see what I mean? It's a bad deal. But you, you, owe, it to, you owe it to him to let him know why you're separating from him. You don't just develop this hyper-pharisaical attitude and just cut everybody off and live your, on your own little toadstool over here. and Just us three, us four, and no more. That's a lot of people do. Just cut you loose and never let you know why. That's a hard thing to do. I've been guilty of it. All right? It's unfair. It is unfair to treat somebody that way without letting them know uh, that what is they've done to offend you or cause you problems. And he says in verse 15, Count him not as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Look at verse 16. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. Now notice the all there. And it's kind of a big thing that you understand the word all. He says, by all means. And uh, of course, somewhere someone's going to take that thing uh, to mean, well, I, I can go down to the bar and have peace. Or I can go down to, you know, whatever show I want to watch and have peace. And if you, I suppose if you sear your conscience, you could probably do just about anything. And, you know, Jonah, he fell asleep during the storm. What does that mean? Nothing. I mean, lots of Christians are backslid on the Lord. I use that term figuratively. Uh, they're just not right with the Lord, and they sleep just fine. <laughs> you know, the right amount of chemicals, and you can sleep for a week. <laughs> but uh, some people say, well, you know, I can, go, I can do anything I want and have peace. And, uh, the all here in this verse 16 here is, is not without exception. The all means the things that God will, will use to give you peace. You've got to remember that. The all means the things that are scriptural, not the things that are unscriptural. Unless you have a perverted mind and a wicked heart, when you see the word all things, you understand it completely and perfectly. Look at verse 17. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write. So that's why, uh, look at Hebrews 13, 25. That's why you find that same solution in Hebrews. That's how Paul finds it. That's, a, that's his calling card. Look at Hebrews 13, 25. You know, the big uh, to-do when you get to the book of Hebrews is who really wrote it? Was it some unknown, uh, uh, you know, X author, some Y author? And uh, Just look at how the guy signed it. Wrote the salutation, 13, 25. Grace be with you all, amen. There's only one author in Scripture that writes like that. You know? <laughs> it's not Matthew. It's not James. It's Paul. That's Paul's salutation. Not only that, but take, I'll look at Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. How many of you have, uh, have uh, where it says Hebrews, the book of Hebrews in bold letters? They're all caps. What's it say above that? <laughs> I never wondered who wrote it. I just said in my Bible. It says the epistle of Paul to the Hebrews. <laughs> 
So I'm not quite sure what the controversy is. I think it's kind of funny. But that's Paul's salutation, amen? Paul saying, this is the way I signed my letter, so you'll know the ones that I wrote. <clears throat> and that's generally how Paul closes things out. Then look at verse 18. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all, amen. You notice how Paul always talks about grace? You know, there's something about that thing, grace. It's not just grace that saves, but you know, grace teaches us so many different things. And you know what? If you're going to live this Christian life, you know what you're going to need every single day? You're going to need more of God's grace. And as a kid, I never could understand how there is more grace than just grace to be saved. I just always thought it was the grace of God that bringing salvation hath appeared to all men, and it has. And they're saving grace, but then you learn in the same passage that grace teaches you so many more things. And all throughout there, what you and I need to live this Christian life is more grace. It's not always more doing or more giving or more acting or more subscribing. It's more grace. So one of the best prayers you and I could pray for the rest of this year, what is it, two weeks to go, three weeks to go? God, give me grace. You say what? The grace that you know that I need, Lord. The grace to see the spiritual need that I can't see. You realize there's needs right now that you can't see? But if you ask God for grace, you'll see the need. But you'll never see it without His grace. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. And there can't be any better salutation than that. He wants Him to be with everybody. And we all need more grace. Remember this, if you never see trouble, that's what you get out of this, these two epistles. If you never see trouble, you will never see deliverance. There's a number of years I went along in my Christian life, besides the only trouble, only trouble that I got into, I never saw trouble from the Lord. But let me tell you what, when I began to see trouble from the Lord, I noticed the difference. I'm like, oh, I didn't cause that. But here it is. And you know what? If you never see trouble you'll never see deliverance. And if you don't see deliverance, you'll never see God. You'll be stuck in your own little world. And that will end the book of 2 Thessalonians. Got you out with 10 minutes to spare. What a great book. I tell you what, affliction, that's the tool that God uses to prove us. And he was proving the Thessalonians left and right and straightened them out on certain things and sure hope it was a blessing to you. Why don't you stand?